Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. The consumers are really the only ones that pay us. Yes, we have the intermediary, you know, the customer trade, so on and so forth. So the transaction sort of takes place there, but they're the ones that really are sort of confirming what our brands are about. They're reaffirming that with repeat purchase, and then they're helping us sort of go into the future in terms of what their needs are, what their values are, and what they're willing to purchase and experience. And so the smart ones understand that and understand that it is a joint exercise, but we're both focused on the same entity, and, and that is the end consumer. So I think that's what makes it beautiful. And I think to the extent that we can both show how we can drive value for one another with joint outcomes, I think that's where the beauty of both sides can come together and really grow over time. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. job first job like off the booksy kind of first job <laughs> or like first job out of college first job I wanted to hear your first off the books and on the books well like babysitting doesn't count but my first like job job was working at a deli counter and I thought I was getting the job of being like the greeter or whatever it is but I was like working the deli so yeah I was elbow deep in pickles and coleslaw and crap like that and then my first job out of college actually was as a editorial assistant at the New York Times, which you would think, okay, well, then maybe I should have ended up in journalism, but that's an episode for for another day. How about yourself? My first off the books job, I mean, I had several, probably one of my more lucrative ones was the eBay business I started when I was 13. Reference episode one. <laughs> exactly. Took a, a large portion of revenue, essentially being my town's largest garage sale. But my first, I, I'm going to go with my retail job. So I went to NYU and I literally was a cashier at the Apple store on Prince Street. This is crazy. But the first comp like computer I sold to was Mick Jagger. Literally, Mick Jagger gave me his credit card. And I was like, this is insane. I can tell you for sure that Mick Jagger never walked into my deli. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the Apple training to work in that store, I think that's where I started to learn that I was building a career in sales. They taught me something that I still carry to today, which is never ask a yes or no question. Always ask an open-ended question because then you can hear the objections and course correct. Oh, I love that. You see, they taught me at the deli. <laughs> no, 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 legit. I did get a life lesson from that. And it's not just about the fact that coleslaw is really good on hot dogs, which it is. They taught me not to ask how people are enjoying their meal. And that's because they didn't want to get negative feedback. And what I learned to do is the exact opposite, yeah. which is to lean into the feedback and, and to ask the difficult conversation so that you could actually get to the same thing you're talking about, just taught totally differently. Oh, wow. The training of that deli. Well, <laughs> speaking of first jobs, 
I love, Sarah, that you asked this question on the show because understanding where executives started their career give you so much context. It just kind of shows what molds your brain, whether it's your first kind of you know, off the books job or your first on the books. So obviously we, we have our learnings from your eBay gig and my deli gig, but you also have your learnings from, from your Apple gig. And I have my learnings from, from my journalism gig, which is storytelling and the importance of storytelling. So when we hear from Anton, the president of North America at Mars Wrigley about his first jobs, I think it all of a sudden puts everything together on like how he is the way he is and why he is the way he is. So stick around after our famous final question to learn more about his first jobs. Today, we have a very big brand, an iconic brand on the show. And an awesome dude. And an awesome dude. Anton Vincent, the president of Mars Wrigley, North America. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Great. I feel like right now in front of me is the Wall Street Journal because I was literally reading you in the Wall Street Journal and then you arrived in Zoom. Wow. It's, it's amazing how that happens. I know. I love the article. Clearly, the journalist thought this quote that you said was very powerful because I wrote it down too. And what you recently said to the Wall Street Journal is that we're not solving the world's problems when you buy M&X. This is tough stuff that we're dealing with, unprecedented stuff that we're dealing with. So we want to provide a respite to consumers when they come and interact with our brands. These are really, really tough times. And obviously, Mars is a portfolio of some of the most iconic brands. How are you navigating these times? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that these times, as we call them, uh, give us an opportunity to is just to make sure that we are reappraising our brands. I think one of the things that we really were pleased to recognize during COVID was just how much brands matter and how much our brands matter. And that's not to say that we didn't think that already. Of course, we thought that. But just the responsibility in ensuring that we have a clear understanding of our brands and how they fit into consumers' household, how it fits into their lives as well. And so my response to the question was to sort of pull everybody back from the brink, so to speak, and make sure that we're being, you know, very consumer focused and understanding sort of who we are, what purpose we serve, and how do we do that in very, very unique ways. And so I do think going through COVID and now coming on the back end of COVID, it has given, I think, every brand organization or every organization that has brands, especially large brands in them, an opportunity to reassess, to reappraise, to elevate, uh, to help it move forward, to make it future facing. And so I think we've certainly done that at Mars Wrigley. I don't know about this whole not solving the world's problems with M&Ms. I actually found that was helpful in so many ways. Actually, people used to, uh, at least used to, like my kids are in their 20s, but people used to teach those uh, fine motor skills with Cheerios. I did with M&Ms. I remember having worked at a prior company when cereal and sort of how we think about cereal and how those uh, imprinting experiences start very early. And I think we had that same thing here at Mars with several brands. I would say M&Ms is one of them, Skittles being the other. Back to the COVID, it really helps us to understand how our brand fits into people's lives. And then I think it gives us avenues and platforms in terms of how do we start to market? How do we start to build narrative? How do we start to build relationships and really grow the brand over time in a very new and different way? Makes a lot of sense. In terms of weaving yourself into consumers' lives, you know, during Halloween, you guys leaned heavily into sustainability. That That's pretty impressive. You could have just been like, okay, we're just going revenue, 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 revenue. And you say, you know what? We're going to be bigger than this. We're going to stand for something bigger than ourselves. 
What are some of the moonshot initiatives that you guys are taking in the space? Yeah, let, let me give you some context in terms of, I would say, Mars at large. We, we have been on a sustainability journey for many years, even before the term ESG was sort of coined, if you would. And so a lot of what we're doing now is really, a, a, I would say, a better articulation of the strategy. Back in 2017, uh, we actually sort of announced sort of to the world our sustainable intergeneration pledge, if you would. And that really is sort of a catch-all for a lot of the things that we're trying to sort of put on the table you know, as it relates to sustainability and decarbonization. One of the biggest examples we had was here recently in our Waco facility. So Waco actually houses the largest single Snickers lines in the world. All right, We produce more Snickers in our Waco facility anywhere around the world. And then we had a big wastewater treatment as well, $15 million project which is actually helping us to achieve a lot of our goals by 2030 as well. That's just one example of some of the things we're trying to do. Another thing that we're really looking at is packaging. I think everybody's looking at packaging. We were able to actually get 100% paper packaging on our M&Ms packages through a certain amount of retailers, mostly Walmart this year. That's probably going to be 100% by the end of 2023, maybe early 24. And so what we try to do is a couple of things to be big, is to be bold and then to make those bets on our biggest brands. I mean, we're talking M&Ms and Snickers. You know, these are two sort of stalwarts of the category and also have you know pretty large carbon footprints that we're trying to get down fairly quickly. We're noticing that a lot of the holding companies that became known in confectionery are starting to think about how do they find new consumers? How do they go beyond confectionery? And with trends in healthy eating, that you know often can coincide with people who are pro sustainability. How does Mars think about its future beyond confectionery? I think we think about it in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, we love our confectionery business, and so look, we're going to be in it. We're going to be in it for a while. But like any business, it has to evolve. So one of the things we did, which is pretty public, is that we purchased Kind. So back in 2017, uh, we we purchased a 60 percent interest in Kind. Uh, we took out the rest of the interest at the end of 2020, and we started to build on that through acquisition by uh, purchasing Nature's Bakery. So I would say inorganic growth is one way, a very legitimate way for us to go and do that as well. You know, another thing we're thinking about doing, and you're starting to see some of it already, is to really start to think beyond product and sort of more towards ecosystem. And so the first example of that is M&M's. So if you think about M&M's, M&M's has a lot of components. Uh, there's a product that we all know and we all love, very large brand, one of the largest ones out there. But it also has a store, has a customization element to it as well. And so we're trying to go from just product marketing to really how do we start to think about it as an experience? And how does the experience have both dimension and depth? And then again, it starts to think about that ecosystem kind of concept as well. I think we have the opportunity to do that on probably a couple of other brands. And then as we start to look towards sort of acquisition as well, we start to think of it from an ecosystem perspective as well. Then again, we're not running away from the health and wellness element of it. We really do need to diversify our portfolio and really provide propositions and concepts and brands for you know, a broad variety of, uh, of consumers. We think that is important and only become more important as we move forward. I remember when you guys acquired Kind, a few months later, all of a sudden, Kind was in the freezer section. I was like, oh, this is going to be an amazing TAM expansion for them under the Mars Wrigley portfolio. Yeah, you know, one of the things we saw in Kind was that, you know, Daniel built a beautiful brand. When I was at a prior company, I, I spent a lot of years competing against Daniel and trying to buy Kind. <laughs> so when I, when I came to Mars, I was pleased to know that we were on the same side. But, you know, when you have a brand that's so simple and so powerful, your imagination can run away with you. And one of the things we always thought was a big opportunity is, right, how do you start to take that to other temperature states and other sort of product ideas? And so what you would have seen is one of our ice cream bars. 
And you can imagine taking the kind concept into sort of a frozen novelty sort of idea. It really starts to help us to tap into some very, very different consumers sort of all across the temperature state as well. And that's just one example in terms of how we see we can continue to blow it out. One of the great reasons we bought Kind was because they were still primarily a North American business. They had a small export, very small export business. And so with Mars Wrigley being a global enterprise, you know, allows us to get the Kind proposition into other markets. So we've been busy globalizing Kind as well. And so that really has provided us an opportunity to not just get uh, sort of product expansion, but also global expansion as well. And so that has helped us to build the brand and advance the concept and the idea that Daniel did, I think, such a great job of building over the last 15, 20 years. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Makes a lot of sense. I think there are only so many brands in the world that can go from being a product icon to a brand icon. I think your point on the, you know, M&M as an experience is one of those things kind in its own way. It's like when you take the product out and you say the name, can you imagine something bigger than the product itself? And that gives you such tremendous extensibility for the brand. Today, we call them collabs, but they used to just be called partnerships or whatever we used to call them. But when you're so extensible that you could really play in different formats as well as different even parts of a store. I mean, I remember the first time I saw of Snickers in the freezer case in that tiny little shelf space. Like you, you just created something out of nothing, nothing quite like a frozen Snickers bar. And that just kind of takes you again to a completely different place. I think if you're running a business unit as you are, you have to, in many ways, think like a marketer who is always thinking like their consumer. And you have said that you're a marketer at heart. How do you think your marketing background gives you that competitive edge versus maybe some of those who grew up in uh, in the commercial ranks, if you will? Good question. I've answered this question a couple of times. Here's my pet answer, and I'll give you a little bit more dimension behind it. The consumers are really the only ones that pay us. Yes, we have the intermediary, you know, the customer trade, so on and so forth. So the transaction sort of takes place there, but they're the ones that really are sort of confirming what our brands are about. They're reaffirming that with repeat purchase. And then they're helping us sort of go into the future in terms of what their needs are, what their values are, and what they're willing to purchase and experience. And so- It is amazing how quickly large organizations lose sight of that. And it's all about the customer relationship, not the consumer relationship. And so much of it is because of that customer's intermediary. But no, they're not only are they not the ones shelling out the dollars, um, they're the ones that are asking you to shell out the dollars. So in terms of, you know, remembering where your bread is buttered is kind of important. The smart retailers, the smart trade partners understand that. And so I think the level of sophistication on some trade partners these days is actually is really encouraging. Everybody's sort of building their own retail network. I mean, we're all got the same objective. We, they're trying to get more people into their formats, whether that's online, whether it's brick and mortar, a little of both. 
And of course, we're trying to continue to sort of build franchise, build a repertoire with these consumers as well. The smart ones understand that and understand that it is a joint exercise, but we're both focused on the same entity, and, and that is the end consumer. Uh, and so I think that's what makes it beautiful. And I think to the extent that we can both show how we can drive value for one another with joint outcomes, I think that's where the beauty of both sides can come together and really, uh, really grow over time. Can you kiss and tell? And and which retailers do you feel do best? <laughs> I'd rather not kiss and tell, but let me just sort of say, I, I think your larger ones who have great data platforms mm-hmm. and have great talent to run those data platforms, I, I'm really encouraging what I'm seeing, not only in just the tool, but the thinking behind it as well. I mean, you guys know folks in the industry and, you know, the types of talent that some of our retail partners are recruiting on their side is really, really encouraging. I mean, we can have these types of consumer conversations and understand how to leverage models and platforms and technology and AI to make sure we get the kind of outcomes with a level of efficiency that I think we've all been sort of searching for for decades now. Sarah and I talk about this a lot, but on the, the talent side, what you're alluding to, you go where the dollars are. So, you know, Sarah started in search, then moved to social, then moved to retail. And it's because she was chasing the dollars. I joined her at social and retail. But yeah, the talent goes where the puck is going. But also they'll go where the opportunity is. We all know that, you know, we love our retail partners, but I think we're starting to converge around how do we think about this one entity called the consumer? How do we do it at scale and efficiency in ways that sort of drives loyalty and repeat? Absolutely. Well, We know that Halloween is behind us and we're entering a new season, but given your position at Mars and the fact that people are probably doing 2023 planning, can you share with us anything that we learned about the consumer during the Halloween season that could be worthwhile for folks' 2023 plans? One of the things that's unique about the 22 season was that it was probably the first unencumbered Halloween we've had in about three years. We had the rough 20 period. We had 21 that we were trying to come out of. We're not quite there. And and now in 22. And so I think there was pent up demand. This is one of the biggest rituals that U.S. consumers in particular sort of take advantage of as well. And again, I think there's that craving to have social activity that everybody can enjoy as well. I think all three of those things have come to fore. I mean, look, this was a record Halloween, both in dollars and my sense is once we pull the tape, probably in units as well, depending on the pack types. So what it tells you is that people crave ritual. That's number one especially a ritual that can be uh, sort of broadly consumed. That's number one. And then two, you know, I, I would say, and certainly for what we've seen, I, I think all manufacturers have done a really good job of making sure that we are, you know, servicing and filling needs that everybody has in all pack types and all price points as well. And so I think there's been a, a renewed commitment to seasonal marketing, knowing that there's capability out there as well. And so I, I think when those things start to converge, I mean, I, I think it reaffirms the power of the season. And that only sort of helps us to be uh, a little more aggressive around the next <laughs> around the next go round, <laughs> because I'm sure everybody's pulling their numbers. They're liking their numbers. And, uh, you know, one thing you want to do is to beat our numbers for the following year. Finally, an optimistic take on 2023. Sadly, we have to ask you our final question because we could be here picking your brain forever. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done? Wow, that is a, that's a pretty big question. I've uh I think the bravest things I've ever done is I was probably about five years into my career at General Mills, and I left General Mills to go and invest in a restaurant enterprise. And so I was a uh, Applebee's franchisee. Uh, We had all of our stores in the Memphis DMA. It was a fantastic enterprise. My partnership was a little rocky, so it wasn't (laughs) it, it didn't last very long. But you know, it was my first foray into entrepreneurship. It was my first foray into really helping to set strategy for, in this case, you know, really a newly created business. You know, we had some uh, pretty interesting partners and uh, 
it helped you to come face to face with a true consumer in a high velocity environment. And you got to understand in a restaurant enterprise, you know, most of your uh, labor force is, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, so it's a very different sense around how to explain things, how to motivate people and how to deliver just incredible service in an environment that gives you feedback every minute, <laughs> right? So it re really helps you to understand how to perfect your model and things of that nature. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't have considered it a successful professional exercise for me, but I probably learned more in those two years than in any two-year sort of joint in my professional career. It was reaffirming in many ways for me as a leader, as a risk taker, as someone that understands consumers and particularly young labor as well. Well, I think that's a great Point and it kind of wraps it all up in a real special way, because if you've spent years in the front lines, that's how you understand your consumer. I have, I have a follow-up question to that, though. What was your first job ever? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you my first job ever. Then I'll give you my first job out of college because it's some interesting. So my, my first job ever was probably cutting grass. You know, I, I'm from the deep south, which means you can cut grass for 11 months out of the year. <laughs> of the year. <laughs> so, so there was a lot of job security there. And then my first job out of college, you know, I uh, I sold insurance from door to door in uh, the suburbs of Dallas, Texas. That's back when you can actually sell things door to door. It was an amazing experience. It really helped me to understand not just selling, but, you know, how do you conceptualize when you knock on someone's door and how to get in, how to talk about it, how to really set the product up? It was a financial services product. And unfortunately, it was at a very tough time in the state of Texas when, you know, a lot of the economy had collapsed. But at that time, they were primarily energy and banking. And so it was a very depressed time. And I was talking with people who really had not prepared themselves for retirement or for longer in life as well. And so it, it was enlightening to me as a young person that had no assets at the time, really talking to people who had not planned. The majority of them had not planned, had not understood, didn't have a good relationship with money, didn't really understand money, had lived primarily check to check and had not you know, understood the concept of saving and investment. So it was both enlightening and instructive for me uh, during that time. It's great because it also taught you how to walk a mile in a consumer's shoe and and by by virtue of the facts, not actually do me search. Exactly. Yeah, it it um it was just enlightening in so many ways. Unfortunately, Sarah, you, you'll appreciate this. The people we were working for, I won't name the company, but uh, the, the person who was running the sales office uh, embezzled a, a part of our <laughs> embezzled a part of our checks. And so, again, a very short-lived but instructive experience in <laughs> <my> professional life. <laughs> Man, you're getting life lessons everywhere. This story feels no different than the year 2022. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you know what it did teach me was just integrity. You know, you know, we take integrity for granted. You know, we really do. But, you know, people who have uh, not even a lot of power can do bad things with it. And so I think for me, it was a real lesson in leadership and responsibility and accountability as well. And again, at a young age, very sort of forming time in my life. Well, thank you for all of your insights, for your customer empathy. Everyone, let's keep our eyes on Mars in 2023 because I, I see optimism for the portfolio. So here's the Mars Wrigley portfolio, typically making money by selling products at the shelves of mass retail, bodega, even some direct-to-consumer. But as you hear Anton talk, especially about the M&M franchise, the opportunity to diversify revenue by thinking about the IP as an experience. And this topic is clearly something that's happening at multiple corporate organizations because we heard from Todd Kaplan at Pepsi about 
Extending Brands. That episode published November 15th, 2022. Eric Nyman at Hasbro. I mean, that was a living modern case study of all the different ways you can be generating revenue with brand IP. That episode published on November 1st. And then our dear friend, Pam Kaufman at Paramount. She's sort of the, the queen of this, the key leader in diversifying IP. And that episode was published on March 7th. So if you're interested in learning ways to diversify your IP, Brave Commerce has many thought leaders for you to listen to. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And please tell a friend about Brave Commerce. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.